The Monday Investment Club is brought to you by Omnis Investments. This podcast is for information only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. If you have any questions, please contact your financial advisor. Welcome back to the Monday Investment Club. I am Rohit from Omnis Investments and today I am joined by Robert Jeffrey, our Chief Investment Officer. Hi Robert. Hello Rohit. Quite a lot going on in the UK at the moment. I'll be talking to Robert in just a moment on the UK economy and his expectations for the year ahead. But first, let's see what happened in markets last week. In the US, the S&P 500 was up 1.3%. Communication services did very well, boosted by solid gains in Twitter and video gaming shares. Rising oil prices helped energy stocks, and mid and small companies built on their substantial year-to-date lead. The Russell 2000, for example, was up 2.5%, another solid week. On the news front, we had a flurry of reporting from companies. On average, analysts now expect overall earnings for the S&P 500 to have grown slightly on a year-on-year basis. This is quite exceptional quick earnings recovery compared with previous recessions. For example, in the global financial crisis of 2008, it took the S&P 500 five years to recover to its earnings peak. However, there continues to be concerns on high valuations in the US equity stock market. On the inflation front, core consumer prices were flat in January, highlighting that whilst inflation is likely to pick up throughout the year, it won't be a matter of huge concern. In Asia, Japan's stock markets recorded a second straight week of solid gains. The Nikkei 225 returned 2.6% last week. Although the pace of new coronavirus cases has slowed, the negative impact of the virus on the economy continued to be seen in recent data. Much of Japan is under a state of emergency as a result of the pandemic, but vaccine distributions could begin as soon as this week. In China, markets rallied ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday. The Shanghai Composite Index rose 4.5%. Most of the markets across Asia were closed on Friday for the week-long holiday that kicked off on the 12th of February. Interestingly, Hong Kong stocks ended at a three-week high. As of the end of the week, record southbound inflows from mainland investors had propelled Hong Kong stocks up 18% to date in 2021. Elsewhere, annual consumer price inflation fell to 4% in India during January, down from 4.6% in December. Industrial production in India was up in January, but not quite back to the pre-pandemic levels just yet. In Europe, the Eurostox 50 returned 1.1%. European equity markets were volatile, but ended generally higher. Improving coronavirus infection rates, the rollout of vaccination campaigns, and hopes of a large US economic stimulus supported equity markets. But concerns about extended valuations appeared to prompt some profit-taking. Countries continue to extend their lockdown restrictions despite implementing vaccination programmes. As an example, Germany's lockdown has now been extended until the 7th of March and it has closed some of its borders. The European Commission forecasts that the Eurozone economy will grow 3.8% this year and next year. The forecast for 2021 is lower than a previous projection, but the 2022 forecast calls for stronger growth than before. Over in Italy, Super Mario Draghi, former president of the European Central Bank, has now been sworn in as Prime Minister. In the UK, the FTSE 100 advanced 1.6% and the domestically focused FTSE 250 was down 0.1%. 
the British pound continued its appreciation trend against the US dollar, ending the week at 1.38 US dollars per pound, its highest level since April 2018. The British economy shrank by 9.9% in 2020, the most since the Great Frost of 1709, though the figure was slightly better than expected thanks to the short period of easing of restrictions after the second lockdown in November, if anyone can even remember that. Output grew a greater than forecasted 1% in the final three months of 2020. The Bank of England's outlook calls for a sharp economic contraction in this first quarter of 2021 because of the continuing lockdown restrictions. However, it has said it expects a sharp recovery around mid-year due to the quick rollout of the national vaccination campaign. So let's now talk to Robert about his view on the UK economy. So Robert, before we talk about COVID-19, pandemic, vaccinations, let's talk about Brexit. Do you think there's been any material impact visible or now that we have exited the European Union? We, on one hand, we've got media reporting 68% decrease in exports to the EU. On the other hand, you've got government declining. It's obviously still early days, but are there any signs of the actual impact of Brexit to the economy? Yeah, I mean, 68%, that's a big number, isn't it? Um, I've seen other numbers, Rohit, too, some more, some less. Um, I think this is really, really volatile data, and it's hard to unpick whether it's Brexit or the pandemic that's driving the numbers. So it's undoubtedly both, um, but what we do know is that there was an extremely large trade deficit in December. So that was UK firms stockpiling imports due to the risk of tariffs coming in on the 1st of January. Now this looks to have reversed in January, giving an overall trade surplus. I think this shows just how volatile it is month on month, flicking from large negative to large positive on the, on the trade side. If you're after any signs of actual impact of Brexit, I think business investment is one to watch. The slump last year, factoring in a, a sort of modest recovery in Q4, looks similar to that seen in past recessions. But the recovery back uh, to 2019 levels, I think, might be slower. So you've got the bare bones Brexit trade deal, uh, the deal that we have, um, for some companies will have reduced returns on investment. And COVID-19 um, has led to huge shifts in demand between sectors. So even firms that have prospered and done well last year will still be cautious with their, with their spending plans going forward. Thanks, Robert. Now let's move on to COVID-19 or the, or the more meaty stuff, if you like. Um, vaccination rates look strong. We've had over 15 million people who've had a, at least one dose. Boris Johnson has reiterated that he's going to outline a plan of how he's going to reopen the economy in a couple of weeks' time. And at the same time, you've got the Bank of England pointing towards an H2 recovery. But the question I have is, what might this recovery look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question, Rohit. And it's on everyone's lips, isn't it? Is when are we going to recover and what's that recovery going to look like? I think it's true to say that the, the UK economy has been the laggard within the G7, the group of seven countries. Um, Q4 GDP for us was 8% below the pre-COVID peak. Um, compare that to the US, um, was 2.5% below. Germany was 4% below and France about 5%. So why is that? Well, we can argue, we can argue about who was, did better about, you know, with containing the virus. I think we can take a lesson from Asia. Um, we do know now that command economies with obedient populations 
that focus on short, sharp lockdown measures rather than what we've had is a more, I'd say, extended social distancing programme. Those Asian countries have done better. Um, but there's another factor here, and that's household spending. And for the UK in particular, this is a very important component, component of our GDP growth. And household spending has been very low in the UK. Governments abroad have done more to boost consumption. So, for example, Germany have cut VAT across the board to get people out and spending. The UK government has focused on the other side on bolstering incomes. So we had the furlough schemes, we had the self-employment income support scheme. And the result of this is savings have increased massively in the UK. So they've increased by 185 billion last year, and that's equal to 9% of GDP. Now imagine if all those savings were spent again. That would do, that would do a significant job in getting the economy back to where it needs to be. Um, also positive, I think the vaccine rollout has been really rapid in the UK. And the seven-day rolling average of COVID cases is now 72% below the January 9th peak. So there's a good chance that an early consumer-led recovery could bring the UK back up to the middle of the pack by the end of this year. There's still some things, some risks to be cautious about, though. Consumers, I think, will still be cautious about spending those savings. I don't think they'll spend everything. So mortgage payments have gone up quite a lot. I think there's a strong incentive for people to keep some of those savings back so they can drop down a loan-to-value ban when they come to refinance their mortgages. So now, to avoid ducking the question, when are we back to pre-COVID levels of growth? Not this year, I'm afraid. Um, probably not till middle of 2022. Thank you, Rob. So some level of return to economic growth, but not quite to the pre-pandemic levels until next year. You mentioned mortgages in your response to that. So I want to ask you a little bit about interest rates. Uh, the Bank of England has asked banks to prepare for negative interest rates, but has also said that they don't intend to use it unless they have to. What's your view on whether interest rates will go into the negative territory? And if they do, what could this mean for investors? Oh, okay. Thank you, Rohit. The, the second guessing, the central bank's question. Um, it is interesting, though, because the, when we look at negative rates, the theory goes that if interest rates and bond yields go negative, then savers will spend more and banks will lend more. So economic growth improves. Now, looking at Europe, where they've had negative yields and rates uh, for some time, I'm not sure it's been uh, an unqualified success. So low and negative yields, they tend to boost asset prices, um, like property and equity valuations, which is fine. And it's helpful for the people that own those properties and own those equities, not so useful for, for others. Um, and it's not just availability of credit. Um, which is important, is the appetite for taking on these these loans. And the, the ECB lending sur survey has, has kind of shown a kind of a mixed uh, linkage between negative rates and people's willingness to take on credit and spend the money. Um, now, back to the, back to the UK here. Um, what the PRA, the regulator, the banking regulator, has said is that banks need six months to prepare their internal systems for negative rates. And having worked for one or two banks in the past, it literally is internal systems that maybe cannot cope with a negative number at certain points in the process. So anyway, they need six months. And for this reason, the Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of England, the MPC, 
and has ruled them out until August. Um, but as you say, Rohit, this doesn't mean that they will use them. And I personally think that it's, it's more likely the MPC will use its quantitative easing programmes, um, the buying of bonds, um, to keep yields low as the economy recovers, rather than having to resort to this negative rate policy. Okay, thanks, Robert, for that. And let's bring it now back to portfolios. Uh, we have been positive on UK equities. Are you still positive on UK shares? And a follow-up question, which is, if we are saying that shares in the UK are still undervalued, why should anyone bother with active management and not just go buy a passive tracker? Absolutely. Yep. Still positive on UK shares um, and still overweight UK equities in our model portfolios. So last year, at certain points on some composite measures, UK equities were about 45% undervalued relative to other listed equivalent listed companies in other areas. Um, Some of that valuation gap has closed. Um, They've performed well recently, but there's still a lot more to go for, especially if we get, as I talked about earlier, an early consumer-led recovery later this year. Now, we think that active management is actually more important than ever at this point. Um, You are going to see a huge dispersion in returns in companies within sectors and returns across different sectors as well. So COVID-19 has led led to huge shifts in demand between these sectors. I mean, just contrast hospitality sector versus the supermarket and online delivery sector. Um, Also, the persistence in this these winners and losers is uncertain. You know, some losers will play catch up. Some of the winners won't enjoy the benefits that they saw during the lockdowns in the pandemic. Um, Brexit is relevant too. Again, winners and losers. And you want an active manager that understands the business models of these companies and is able to pick those that are going to benefit. Um, Also mentioned dividends at this point. Um, Many companies cut dividends throughout the pandemic not all of them are going to be able to return to paying the dividends at the level they used to. Some companies, these dividends will be permanently reduced. Others will be get, will have the cash flows to get back to, to paying out like they used to. And you need an active manager to make the right choices. And then finally, I'd mention ESG, environmental, social and governance factors. Now, some companies will have good practices and good plans related to ESG, And the evidence has shown that they they will be rewarded in terms of share price performance. So, for example, BP has plans to go carbon neutral. Other oil majors have no such plans or they're they're not as clear clear cut in their strategy. Um, Need a manager that is able to analyse ESG factors and pick those companies that are going to benefit. Thank you, Robert. There you have it. Uh, Views from Robert, our CIO, on vaccination rates, economic recovery, interest rates and UK equities as a whole. Thank you, Robert, for being here today. That's it from Omnis Investments Monday Investment Club, available to you every Monday. Thank you for tuning in. The Monday Investment Club is brought to you by Omnis Investments, which is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.